Bob Hope once said, you know you're getting old when the candles cost more than the cake. And uh, perhaps you're at the age where birthday candles are, are simply a fire hazard at this point. You know, that's one of the adjustments of old age. British, uh, British comic writer John Wagner said, don't let aging get you down. It's too hard to get back up. And that's funny, and even at 39, I get up differently uh, than, than I did at 21. There's a comic of the Grim Reaper holding a sickle and standing with an elderly man uh, holding a walker and apparently missing his dentures, and the Grim Reaper says to him, I'm death, to which the old man responds, that's okay, I will speak louder. So anyway, there, there are adjustments to old age. And, and we can laugh about getting older. I think we should laugh about getting older. It can be really funny sometimes. But you know, laughs fade. And we're left sobered by old age. Truman Capote, the famous playwright, said, Life is a moderately good play with a badly written third act. Is that true? You know, maybe it, it feels like it sometimes. But that assessment fails to acknowledge God's sovereignty his providence, and the good blessings that he gives in old age. That view doesn't rouse gratitude. Uh, Capote missed that the late years of life aren't really the third act anyway. The third act is actually eternity, the best part of the drama for believers, for followers of Jesus. The average life expectancy in the United States is 78.74 years. Many people live a long time, but a famous French essayist made a good point, which we should consider. He said, few people know how to be old, and I think that's true. Do you know how to be old? Do you know how to be old? Today, I want to give you the key to finding true joy in old age. It can be found, uh, but you must look to the right source. I sent out an an email this week to a bunch of uh, people in the autumn of their years to borrow from Frank Sinatra, and I asked them three questions. Number one, what are some of the greatest challenges and struggles you face in getting older? Secondly, what do you fear as you get older? And third, what are some of the great blessings, greatest blessings that you have in the later years of your life? And I got some great feedback. Some wonderful feedback. So here are some challenges, struggles, and fears facing older people. And I'd, I'd like us to think about how these relate to finding joy, true joy in old age. And, and what I hope that this does is I hope that it sets us up for the text that we're going to get into in Ecclesiastes this morning. And I warn you, the beginning of this, it may sound low-spirited. Okay, but I assure you, as we progress up the thorny stem, we will see the rose. Keep listening. Here are some challenges and struggles for older people that that you likely identify with. Number one, increasing physical limitations. As you get older, energy, endurance, and agility are increasingly replaced by fatigue, stiffness, and pain. Forgetfulness becomes that unwelcome guest who won't leave. Uh, You can't do what you used to do like you used to do it. Recovery and healing, well, they take a lot longer. Old age often brings illness and disease and 
chronic pain. Now, let's think about increasing physical limitations as they relate to joy in old age. Is true joy dependent on our physique or our physical capabilities? And if it is, what happens when our physique or our physical capabilities are gone? We may need to grieve physical limitations, but physique and physical capabilities don't hold the key to true joy. Number two, loss. Time is running out. Many opportunities, they're gone. Old age brings the loss of dear friends and even adult children in some cases. Some independence and privileges are lost. The confidence that you had in your capabilities may be lost. It may be very difficult to face the reality of of loss and that loss puts you in a position of need. You might not like being in a position of need. Now, let's think about loss as it relates to joy in old age. Is true joy dependent on losing nothing in life? If it is, what happens when you do lose something? We may need to grieve loss, but not losing anything isn't the key to true joy. Number three, financial concerns. The increase of age oftentimes decreases the wage. Maybe your career didn't end like you thought it would. Maybe your financial goals are now, at this point in time, out of your reach. Old age can drain bank accounts, and that may uh, provoke anger or bitterness or maybe fear or maybe even jealousy. And some older people are saddened by their diminished ability to give to the church. The costs of being old, they soar, but the income doesn't. It's not what it once was. So now let's think about financial concerns as they relate to joy in old age. Is true joy dependent on financial security? If it is, what happens when financial security is gone? What happens when the money is gone? We, we may need to grieve financial concerns, but wealth doesn't hold the key to true joy. Four, loneliness. You may have lost a spouse. Uh, maybe friends and family have died and you're still alive. Or maybe they're just too busy to spend much time with you, on with their lives. And you may find yourself irritable, you may find yourself cranky and stubborn in your old age, and you may begin to think, wow, where are all my friends? And you may wonder if your loneliness is somewhat caused because you pushed everybody away. And you may feel relationally trapped because of your limitations and losses. Holidays may now be a real struggle for you. Now, let's think about loneliness as it relates to joy in old age. Is true joy dependent on relationships and companionship? If it is, what happens when relationships end and companionship is meager? We may need to grieve loneliness. But as good as relationships and companionship are, they don't hold the key to true joy. Number five, memories of the past and regret. To put it bluntly, folks, the good old days are gone. They're not coming back. 
Uh, it's, it's as if, though, we can still taste it, hear it, see it, touch it. it it's, it's almost like it's right there, almost like it happened just yesterday. And, and those, those memories are beautiful. They are good. We should delight in them to a certain extent. But those things cannot be relived. They are gone. You, you, you can still hear those hurtful words said about you. You can still hear, maybe ringing in your ears, those hurtful words that you said. And you can't take them back. Old, old age can be a wrestling match with regret, maybe for choices made or choices not made, maybe for marital mistakes, maybe for parenting mistakes, sins maybe that, that you continue to grapple with and that haunt you. You may wrestle with whether you did enough for your kids and whether you did enough for your grandkids. Now, let's think about memories of the past and regret as they relate to joy in old age, is true joy dependent on the good old days and having no regret? If it is, what happens when it finally sinks in, the good old days are gone? And what happens when you do wrestle with regret and they storm your mind? Well, we may need to grieve good memories, maybe grieve bad memories, Maybe grieve our regrets, but as good as the good old days were and as comfortable as a rosy view of the past may be for us, they don't hold the key to true joy. Last, and maybe the preeminent struggle encapsulating all the rest of the struggles, number six, accepting change. Accepting change. Change is inevitable, and it can be, young or old, very difficult to, to accept. Physical changes, technological changes, church changes, career changes, role changes, financial changes, relational changes, family changes. Change has a blunt way of reminding us that we are not in control, nor are we the center of the universe. Change can be very uncomfortable. Passing the baton, passing the baton is hard. It's very, very difficult but it may be even harder to remember after you've passed the baton that the race is still going. It's not done. Many older people, they fight necessary change. I'm not talking about crazy, weird change that shouldn't be, but they fight necessary change, the things that should come and that are good, and they avoid it while they cling to the past. And sadly, this only steals their joy. They're not able to adapt. That's oftentimes a deep struggle. Now, let's think for a moment about accepting change as it relates to joy in old age. Is true joy dependent on life just remaining the same, always as it has been? And if it is, what happens when things change? Sometimes very rapidly. We may need to grieve certain changes of life, but our circumstances, they don't hold the key to true joy. There are also fears in old age that relate to these kinds of challenges and, and struggles. Will the money run out? What, what kind of world are we leaving our kids and our grandkids? What if I'm incapacitated? What's it like to die? What tragedy awaits me or my family members tomorrow? Will I be a burden for my spouse or children? Will my age isolate me from the younger generation? 
will my loneliness worsen? Am am I really forgiven? Am I really saved? Is the gospel really effective for me? What, What am I leaving my kids? What am I leaving my grandkids? Do I have any spiritual legacy? What have I done? Well, these these fears, they're more than real in, in old age. They're real in young age. Friends, hearing a bunch of this, you know, there's lots more that could be said, but you may, may not really struggle with some of these or all of them. You may just struggle with some more than others. And in fact, you might find yourself very blessed and content in most of these areas. That could be true. But these are, just recognize, these are very common and deep struggles. They're natural challenges, natural struggles, natural fears that old age often brings. And they do threaten our joy in old age. Uh, if, if we are not fanatical about applying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to old age, true joy will escape us in old age. So, so what's the key to finding joy in old age? Four things. Consider them four bits uh, on one key, and we're going to get to them in a moment. Ecclesiastes is kind of a weird title for a book. It appears to be a title of a preacher or a, some sort of leader who is addressing um, an assembly of God's people, similar to me addressing you today. We don't know the author for certain. However, because of phrases like son of David and king of Jerusalem, and because the author is extremely wise and had a prosperous reign as king over Israel, the traditional view is that Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon. Um, whichever human wrote it, its origin is divine. Chapter 12, verse 11 says, the words of the book were given by one shepherd. And there's so much there. Meaning, God the good shepherd gave the words. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. So understand what Ecclesiastes is. It is God, the good shepherd, breathing out wisdom and truth for his people. This wise old preacher who had gained unsurpassed wisdom and pleasure and wealth, who had worked very hard in his life, reflected back on his life and considered the meaning of it all. He's not actually easy to read or understand what he's getting at because he mixes optimism and pessimism and faith in God all together, and and it can be hard to track his line of thought and and grasp what point he's making. His words at times seem morose and hopeless, as if there is no meaning to life. Uh, Yet, he commends enjoying God's good gifts and trusting and following God in this life, which suggests there is great meaning in this life. Following God, there's incredible meaning And so there is tension here in the words of of the writer. And I think he was provocatively critiquing the worldview that finds ultimate meaning and fulfillment in the pursuits and pleasures of this life. Of course, the author believed life has meaning, but he exposed the vanity of finding the greatest good in earthly pursuits and pleasures. In his conclusion, he takes us beyond the vanity of this life to the greatest good of all, God himself, and tells us that the grand duty of human beings in this life is to fear God and to keep his commandments. 
Another way to put it is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So this wise old preacher critiqued materialism, hedonism, and humanism. He made the famous German philosophy, Arbeit macht frei, or work sets you free, look entirely foolish. And the wise old preacher gave us the key to true joy, but only at the very end of the book does he seem to resolve the tensions that you feel throughout his, his writing. It is very important that you listen to the end, that you get his point at the end. So here's what the old preacher says as he sets up the, the bulk of his book. All is vanity. All is vanity. He used the word vanity quite a bit. Right at the beginning of his book, chapter 1, verse 2, he wrote, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. In other words, all of life is futile, meaningless, a breath that is quickly gone. What a way to begin a book, right? Hey, readers, by the way, your life is pathetic and meaningless. I want to read the next page. Fantastic. He repeated that theme throughout his book, and right before his grand conclusion, which makes sense of it all, where he brings perspective, he repeats chapter 12, verse 8, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Now, my question is, how did he know? How did he know that life is vain? Well, he was old. He was experienced, an experienced man. He had been king of Israel, a man who devoted himself to life's pursuits and life's pleasures. And I think what he wrote about his life in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 through 10, pretty much qualifies him to talk about this. And I want you to hear that, what his life was like. So listen to this. This is what he said. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I search my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all its toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. I think it's safe to say your life is not like that. That is not what you live. It's not how I've lived. That's such extravagant wealth and pleasure, I don't even know the half of it. 
This guy had unsurpassed pleasure. Did he find ultimate joy in his acuity, his achievement, his success, or his pleasure? We'll listen to what he said in the next verse, verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He saw that every pursuit and pleasure to whatever degree it is sought and enjoyed and however long it is enjoyed led to the same sobering reality for everyone, death in the end. All is vanity. Now, that will shatter you. That'll decimate you. If you define yourself in old age by your acuity, achievement, success, or pleasure, past or present, to find our worth and significance in vanity is a hopeless and a joyless pursuit. There are absolutely no pursuits, absolutely no pleasures in this life that will give you the true joy that your heart longs for in old age. Excuse me. Listen to the wise old preacher and king, this time-worn man in the autumn of his life. Listen to him as he helps you realize some things about your life. All your athletic prowess, trophies and awards, your academics and degrees, your hard work and business success, your sexual vitality, your vacations and travels and photographs capturing your happiest memories, your fondness of the good old days, your cars and motorcycles that used to turn heads, your beautiful body that was so chiseled and and young that was so active, all of it, according to Ecclesiastes, is vanity of vanities. This wise old philosopher is inviting you beyond temporal pursuits and pleasures to find meaning and ultimate happiness in something greater than what you can experience here on this earth. It's what he wrote in his conclusion that prevents misunderstanding what he's getting at in his book. He was no nihilist. He saw great meaning in life. So here's the key to finding true joy in old age. A key that that this old man, this old preacher, this great king, this wealthy guy, he knew. He knew. One key, four bits. The way to find true joy in old age is to, number one, fear God. Fear God. Listen very carefully to how he finished his book, verses 9 through 14. It helps to understand his point about vanity. I'll read it for you again. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging my words with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd, my son. Beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment 
with every secret thing, whether good or evil. He said, all is vanity. Vanity. And then in verse 13, fear God. Fear God. Those two little words help us understand his point. Fear God. Tremble before the power and the beauty and the glory of God. Revere God. Adore God. Be in awe of God. Be so thunderstruck at the glory and grace of God that you gratefully worship and serve God with all of your heart for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, in youth and in old age, in life and in death. Fear God. A life without the fear of God, without trust in God, without confidence in God is a wasted life. Vanity of vanities, for it is God alone who infuses life with joy and with meaning. Fear God and find true joy. In chapter 5, verse 1, the, the author said about entering the house of God, When entering worship, it is better to draw near to God to listen than to offer the sacrifice of fools who have no heart for God. Maybe maybe he had religious ritual in mind without a heart for God, and it's better just to come into the presence of God and to listen, to enjoy and delight in Him. He added in verse 7, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Fear God and find joy in His presence. Find joy in worshiping Him. In chapter 8, verses 12 and 13, he said so plainly, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. Because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. If you look at people in the old years of their life who don't have any fear of God, who don't enjoy God, they are miserable people. And there's a reason for that. It will be well with those who fear God. They have God. Scholar and pastor Doug O'Donnell said this. Ecclesiastes is about finding the goodness of God while living within the vanity of this world. Do you understand that? He goes on, such goodness or wisdom is found only through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This relationship involves trusting in Christ and heeding his commands, which brings rest Justice and joy. End of quote. Someone who fears God, do you see how they die? They die in beauty. Oh, they die in a unique way. They're old in a unique way. There's just something about them and it's Christ. And their value of Him, you can see it. It's different from the world. To fear God is to trust in the life and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ and to joyfully walk in obedience to all His commands by the power of the Holy Spirit. One study note rightly said this, the writer comes to the conclusion that faith in God is the only, the only avenue to satisfaction in God. So let me ask you a serious question. Do you want joy in old age? 
then fear God. Fear God. Trust Christ. Look to Christ alone to define you and to give you true joy. When our eyes, and this happens, folks, when our eyes drift from Christ and fixate on all of our challenges, all of our struggles, all of our fears, all of our anxieties, all of our worries, our distraction, that distraction, what's happening there at that moment, keeps us from joy. By looking for joy in the wrong place. We can't find it in the vanity of this world. Let the creek rise, right? Because to have Christ is to have joy. Superlative joy. Fear God. Number two, keep God's commandments. Verse 13 says, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. You know, many older men and women are miserable in old age. They're miserable. Not because of their increasing physical limitations or loss or financial pressures or loneliness or memories of the past and regret or rapid change. That might be their target. That is not the source of their misery. It is ultimately because they reject intimate fellowship with God and they continue to see God's commandments as a burden instead of grace-induced faith-produced means of a joyful life. Now, don't misunderstand me here. We don't obey God's commands in order to be accepted by God. That's not how it works. And we don't obey God in order to receive His grace and His favor and His kindness and His good gifts. No, God gives us sovereign grace in Christ apart from any of our works. He takes initiative with us. He enters into covenant relationship with us. He loves us first, and then we love, and then we fear Him in response to His effectual grace by His Spirit. His grace makes His law sweet to our taste, and His grace makes obedience overflow from our awestruck and adoring hearts. Obedience is our expression of worship thankfulness, and trust in God. Can a shut-in who can do very, very little of anything at all find true joy? Do they have any hope? What's going to make them happy? You can't do what you and I do, perhaps. Absolutely, they can find true joy in a very deep and profound way, perhaps more than we know. And their true joy is not dependent on their vitality, their capability, or activity. With great fear and faith, the shut-in can enjoy sweet fellowship with God through His Word, by His Spirit, and they can strive with all of their heart to please God in the circumstances that God sovereignly puts them in. They can ask others to read them Scripture when they show up to challenge that person. They can pray without ceasing knowing that that their Heavenly Father hears them and loves them and responds to their faith-filled prayers. They can give thanks in all circumstances, counting their many blessings and delighting in being a breath away from seeing Jesus. They can encourage and build up other saints with their testimony of God's faithfulness. In old age, they they don't need a healthy body to pursue righteousness 
godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. And to be a model of Christ's likeness to younger people who are desperate to see someone die well. To give them hope. They, they don't need health. They don't need acuity. They don't need achievement. They don't need success or earthly pleasures to follow God. In a great display of faith by the power of the Spirit, they can pursue their joy in putting on compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Consider this. This is perhaps not done best by 21-year-olds in perfect health but can be done extraordinarily by a 95-year-old spirit-empowered men and women confined to their bed, confined to their chair, confined to their home, but with mighty faith and obedience to God, they serve Him and love Him, and that sends a loud message. You know, you want to impact the next generation, value Christ more than anything with your gray hair. It is horrible to see old people just bitter and misery and cranky and stuffy And they're not valuing Christ. And the younger generation looks and says, you're not valuing Christ. Fear Him. Love Him. Obey Him. Let everything about you be about Christ and about other people. It's just disheartening to see old people complain about themselves. Fear God. Give the generation that's coming up something to see how you treasure God when your back doesn't work at all, when your eyes are failing, when you're in chronic pain. Struggle, cry with tears, ask God and plead with Him to take your pain away while you value Him. That will send a message to the next generation. In one sense, life is vanity. And in another sense, life is filled with meaning because as 1 Corinthians 10.31 suggests, life is for the glory of God, aging included. And obedience is the road to joy. If God gives you an ounce of joy in your old age, expend it all in knowing and joyfully obeying His commands. God's commands, and you will find true joy. Number three, remember God's judgment. Why fear God and keep His commands? Notice the logic in verse 14. It answers, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. In chapter 3, verse 17, the old man said, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. In chapter 11, verse 9, he said, Rejoice, O young man. We have some young men in here. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. We must not presume upon God's grace in old age. God will judge you and me for what we have done and what we have enjoyed in this life. It is the fear of God and obedience that guard us from His judgment. It is through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross that we find ourselves escaping the judgment of God into the everlasting joy of God. The inevitability of God's judgment should sharpen our faith and obedience and gratitude for God's grace. Number four, be grateful and enjoy whatever good gifts God gives you. Listen to the following lines and notice the place of gratitude in finding true joy. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 and 25, just listen. There is nothing better for a person 
than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Apart from God, there is no enjoyment to life. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13, I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Ecclesiastes 5.19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God, the gift of God's sweet grace to enjoy these things. The excellent pursuits and pleasures, not the unworthy ones, the excellent ones of this life are gifts right from God's hand. And we should enjoy them to his glory with great thankfulness. Look back on your life and thank God. Thank him for his kindness. Look at your present circumstances as hard as they may be and look to your future glory and future inheritance as glorious as it will be and thank God. Thank God. Some of you know Ray and Ivy Doherty. And I was with them the other day. They both have cancer, really serious, not, not looking good in a lot of ways. They are in the autumn of their life, and they are suffering. And in their pain and in their suffering, they told me that they are so grateful, so grateful. With the fear of God and, and commitment to obedience in their hearts, they are looking to the faithfulness of God, looking to the goodness of God, and that is why they have found true joy in their old age. When you add up all your challenges, all your struggles, all of your fears, even all of your temporal blessings that you have, is not Jesus enough to fill your heart with joy in old age? Is he not enough? Is he not exactly what you need? Well, those who responded to my little email questionnaire this week, they also shared with me uh, wonderful blessings of old age, seeing children and grandchildren mature, freedom of schedule, long-lasting, dependable friendships, fulfilling work, helping others, sharing life with a spouse, the blessing of rest and good memories. Well, these are all wonderful, wonderful blessings uh, to enjoy in old age. And as God gives them, God intends us to enjoy them with gratitude. We can't be the type of people who's not enjoying that. Christ alone, as if that's so. Enjoy what comes from his hand and thank him profusely. Thank him over and over again. Thank him. But of the blessings that were shared, uh, a particular blessing struck me. Many of the blessings in response to my email had to do with fearing God, keeping his commandments, and being grateful. Here are a few quotes from these older people. Each day is full of thankfulness and gratitude. Knowing God is there even when I stray from the path. Having more time to read and study the Word of God. Enjoying a great discernment, enjoying a greater discernment about what is truly important in life and the resulting gratitude I feel. 
having a more concrete and closer relationship with the Lord. Cherish and marvel at God's keeping grace and guidance through the years. Last one. Knowing every day is one day closer to meeting Jesus in heaven. A person in the autumn of life doesn't say those things unless they have tasted God's goodness and grace. It's the only explanation. Because being old is hard. Amen? You know it's, being, it's hard. But you say those things in those late years of life when you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He is good. His blessings. Can't even count them. Those quotes overflow from fearing God, keeping His commandments, and remembering His judgment. All of these people have faults and failures and scars, and yet they find true joy in what? In knowing God. Truman Capote was wrong. Old age is not a badly written third act. It's challenging. It's a struggle. It can be frightening. But it is also filled with God's blessings. There is joy in old age, but not in vain pursuits and pleasures of youth and vitality. Rather, in the pursuit and pleasure of God. Fear God. Keep all of His commandments. Remember His judgment. Be grateful and enjoy whatever good gifts He gives you. This is your duty. This is your key to true joy. The only person who ever did any of these things. We didn't do these things. You fear God? You keep all His commandments? You remember His judgment? You are grateful all the time? No, only one person did these things. Jesus Christ. And as we trust Him, He does something beautiful for us. He works fear in us. He works obedience in us. He works gratitude in us. And He gives us true and lasting joy in Himself. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Ecclesiastes, this great wisdom book that we can turn to and find incredible insights into our own souls and our own life, and our own eternity. I pray, God, that we will see that all of life is vanity and that we will see that life is also filled with meaning in one path, knowing God, fearing you, obeying your commandments. Commandments, your commandments are so good. They're not a burden. They're the way to joy. They show us how to be joyful, how to pursue our joy. And so, God, I pray that we would not find your commandments a burden, but find them a great delight, that we can, by the Spirit alone, obey and please your heart. That we would fear your judgment, your swift and terrifying judgment, that we would not presume upon your grace, and that, God, we would be grateful people. Make us grateful people, not these bitter old I don't even know the word. Curmudgeon, is that a word? God, people who just grumble all the time. Help us to be just radically thankful people. Every day, we complain so much. Forgive us, God. Help us to be grateful because you've given us 
all that we could ever possibly want in your son. And I pray, God, that we take this message to heart, particularly those in their old age, and that they would find the true joy that they long for. In Jesus' name and for your glory, God, we pray. Amen.